As the old man tried to get near the baby Jesus, Samuel asked hastily, "What's he want?" But Zachary the priest, who knew his way about the temple, lifted his hand reassuringly. "Don't be worried," he said. One of the side of his beard. He said, "It's only Simeon. Everybody around the temple knows old Simeon. He is harmless. He's old, all right," agreed Samuel. Indeed, Simeon was so decrepit and old that it seemed a wonder he did not fall apart from sheer inanition and decay. He is a devout and just man," said Zechariah. and he tells everybody that once he was visited by the holy spirit the angel promised him that before he died he was to see the messiah in the flesh samuel looked warily at zachariah the priest's face was set in an ivory calm the others stood back while the tall ragged figure of simeon crept nearer toward Mary and Joseph with the child. There was a moment of curious silence as he halted and lifted up his hands and croakingly thanked God. At last he groaned aloud, he could be allowed to die. A chill ran even in the spine of Samuel when he heard that prayer. The whole group stood still as other persons came hurrying down. the courtyard a crowd collected all watching as simeon leaned forward and his emaciated face of a thousand wrinkles came close to the young mother this child is set for the fall he gasped the sunken eyes gleamed again straight at mary and for the resurrection of israel he went on huskily his bony right hand raised the lean misshapen forefinger pointed crookedly at the mother's heart and your own soul a sword shall pierce he predicted as tears gathered in mary's eyes he added out of many hearts thoughts shall be revealed now simeon swayed back waving both hands haplessly as if saying farewell to a life he had never enjoyed as if this moment were a tremendous relief to him and he was glad to rouse himself and lose himself in the shadows before anyone could speak there came a new voice the sound of crying and out from under the same arcade appeared a woman crawling on her knees She too is incredibly old, muttered Zachariah, even older than Simeon. Her name is Anna. For 84 years she had been a widow. Since the day the temple was built, she has never left it. And what is she saying? snapped Samuel impatiently. Listen, said Zachariah. Anna was struggling to stand up in front of Mary. Looking down into the face of the sleeping child, she found her voice. 
And she also repeated what the dying Simeon had said. Here indeed is the deliverer of the people. So these two people of God predicted that this child, Jesus, is the promised Messiah and that he will save his people from their sin and he will be the deliverer of the world. begin the first chapter of the novel The Greatest Story Ever Told by Fulton Osler. Here, the author will take us to Nazareth to the home of Joseph the carpenter who was by this time a bachelor. The chapter is entitled The Man Who Waited. People in Nazareth said that Joseph was like his great ancestor, the favorite son of Jacob. It was true that the carpenter of Nazareth, with his small golden beard, so different from his black-haired neighbors, was a dreamy, quiet-spoken man, looking more like a scholar than a craftsman. His uncle who brought him up had taught the orphan boy his trade. With those great knotty hands, hands with big knots, Joseph could build a fence or a house, fashion a chair or a bench, hang a door, mend a wheel, build a new plow or yoke. On the high street in Nazareth, his little shop with its earthen floor had a clean, constant smell of shavings and sawdust. In the back was a cot, and nearby a grate where Joseph the bachelor cooked simple meals. On long evenings, he would sit on his heels at the open door and sew a rent in his smock or stand outside and breathe deep of the cool air. Later, by the yellow flame of a rush burning in an oil lamp, he would read for hours from borrowed scrolls of holy books. The golden-bearded Joseph, with the prematurely bald head, was called a visionary because he refrained from gambling with travelers of passing caravans. He avoided tavern women and found his pleasure in good talk with a few neighbors. Among Nazarenes, these were poor habits, for generally they were a rowdy lot. This town, lying hidden in the mountains, was near a post on a busy trade route between Europe and Asia, so there was often excitement in the neighborhood, a tide flowing back and forth of camels and bald merchandise, pungent fragrances and spicery and rainbow silks of the east, skilled manufacturers of the West, wines and oils, the barter and trade of Alexandria and Damascus.
At night, caravans often rested in the fields and the rocky hillside gleamed with golden tongues of campfires. The townsfolk got their news from those travelers and day and night lived in an atmosphere of the new, the strange and the exciting. They were rough men, these merchants and camel drivers, and the people of the town were rough too, ready to take offense, ready to brawl, to gamble and haggle, ready for anything. There's the saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because generally the people of Nazareth were a rowdy lot. Late one afternoon, Samuel of Cana stood in dark silhouette on the threshold of Joseph's shop at the end of the street of the coppersmith. The young merchant was tall and powerful against the fading light. The Lord be unto you, he said politely. Joseph put down his hammer, separated his bare feet, which he had been using as a vise for a board, brushed sweat from his forehead with the back of his hand, and grinned at his friend. Samuel is a close friend of Joseph, and he was so happy to see him. And peace be with you, Samuel. Come in. Your chest of good Galilean oak and sycamore is finished, and I am about to eat. Join me? No, said Samuel. I have just eaten at home, but thank you. The giant Samuel sprawled on the shavings litter of the floor, while Joseph, forsaking chisel, adze, and saw, squatted on his bare heels and spread out a rip past of bread and curds and a cup of milk. Who fixed you such a dainty meal? asked Samuel suspiciously. When a man is an orphan and has no wife, he must learn to do for himself. You are lonely, Joseph, asked Samuel. Sometimes, replied Joseph. There was a moment's pause as the carpenter smeared his bread with the curds. I have a cure for loneliness, murmured Samuel, a gleam in his inkberry eyes. Joseph chuckled with private amusement. I can guess, he laughed. No, Samuel cried vindictively. I've long ago given up trying to make an adult out of you, Joseph. No amorites, no little love affairs for you. Of course you don't know what you're missing, but that's not what I was thinking about at all. My thoughts for your future were elsewhere. Where then? Jerusalem, replied Samuel. Are there not enough carpenters in the big city? asked Joseph. Carpenters? Bah! Joseph, don't you ever have a thought beyond your work? Joseph blinked self-consciously. Why, yes, Samuel, I think about many things that have nothing at all to do with my work. What, for instance, said Samuel, oh, the law, bah, said Samuel, because he does not like to talk about the laws and the prophets. Bah, repeated Joseph with a wag of his bald head, bah is not an argument. Samuel, Ba is a noise. 
It has a meaning just the same. It means that I and many like me are tired of being taught about the patriarchs and the judges and the prophets, the history of Israel. We are tired of more than that. We have had enough of being ruled by foreign powers. We are all slaves run by Herod for the benefit of Rome. And what has Rome to do with us? We want to be free. Oh, said Samuel. Then Joseph said, that again, better lower your voice, Samuel. The danger was real. Roman spies were everywhere. It was folly to take part in political discussions with the police listening, holding the downtrodden people in a misery of fear. One learned not to speak ideas aloud. In the last century, there had been a series of hapless rebellions in the land. Fierce and fanatical men still roamed the hills of Galilee, striking at Romans when they dared. Some of the best of the young men of the province, healthy and strong ones, enthusiastic ones, had perished in those feeble and foredoomed revolts. Thousands of patriots dying for Israel during the 100 years the Romans had held Israel. Not only Galilee, of which Nazareth was one of the chief towns, did they hold, but Judea too, with Jerusalem, the golden capital. All the territory that once had known the valor of Joshua, the power of David, the wisdom and glory of Solomon, was now paying tribute to the emperor Augustus Caesar. Oh, Samuel could tell Joseph conditions were getting much worse. Rich and powerful men of their own nation were collaborating with the invaders, fattening their fortunes by betraying their own people. How long must they endure slavery with treason thrown in? Didn't Joseph realize that in every village young men were once more plotting to throw the Romans out and make the Roman free? Why should Joseph not join? Ever since Joseph could remember, impetuous youths in Nazareth had been planning a secret melodramatic resistance against the Romans, but it never came to anything more than talk. So the two men talk of Rome and taxes and their affairs and their jobs. Samuel wanted Joseph to join the revolutionary movement against Rome. But Joseph is a non-violent man who does not want to have anything to do with these rebellions. Samuel would ask him, you mean we should go on submitting to unspeakable Herod and Rome and do nothing? Samuel's words were full of venom. Joseph replied, the ruin of our people has always been to depart from faith and depend on their own powers. We know that a deliverer will come and we've just got to wait. You think the Messiah is coming tomorrow, perhaps the next day, asked Samuel. Who knows, said Joseph simply, but violence, revolution, all these secret schemings are tricks learned from aliens who have 40 gods and all 40 are not enough. 
and any one of them too many to give them peace. I would still like to know, persisted Samuel, whether you expect to live to know the Messiah. Joseph chuckled. What a fanciful idea. A workman like me know him, the Messiah? What would a poor carpenter know about such great affairs? No, I look forward to a quiet life. And lonely, Joseph. You said so, said Samuel. Joseph wagged a great forefinger amiably. Not at all. I do not expect to be lonely forever. Like any other man, I want a wife in my house. And children, asked Samuel. Many, I hope. A houseful. I would enjoy them. Samuel's burning eyes softened a little. I hope, well, you find the girl of your heart, my friend. She will never have to fear a thrashing from the gentle kind of husband you will make her, said Samuel. Joseph did not seem to be listening. He stood very thoughtful with a touch of sadness in his manner. His eyes were on the doorway. He was staring out into the street as if he were expecting some wonderful vision. Only his right hand, huge and flexible, reached out and seized the other by the elbow. I have already found her, she confided. He confided. She is very young and very different from all the other women in the world. Come out of your trance, Joseph. Tell me how this girl is so different. Joseph replied, She is not as any of the others are. That is all I know how to tell you. Look, Samuel, I was sure of it. She is coming toward us now. See her with the empty red jug in her head? Samuel strode to the doorway and shaded his eyes with his hand. Don't stare, admonished Joseph severely. I will admit that her walk is more than ordinarily graceful, announced Joseph. And Samuel agreed. Everything about her is more than ordinary, murmured Joseph, taking a place near the hulk of his friend who nearly filled the doorway. The carpenter's head was turned to one side and he was looking under the upraised arm of Samuel and there was still that distant look in the blue eyes as if he were enraptured by the strains of music. The shadowed street was almost empty as a girl came toward them down the narrow pavement. Dark hair framed the pale face above the light blue mantle and the intense blue eyes set so wide apart. She walked in grace. Joseph, said Samuel, lowering his voice, there may be something in what you say. That girl is somehow different. Yes, she is. Can it be the expression? It is most unusual. It is why, look, it has me stammering. Man, it is... I can't describe her beauty. I can't describe her grace, her serenity, something so serene about her. Samuel lowered his hand. Never have I seen such serenity on any face, he acknowledged. It gives me, my friend, a strange sort of feeling. He looked after the girl, searchingly as she passed, eyes straight before her, arms lifted gracefully. 
fingers spread against the red water jug. What can it be that sets her apart? asked Samuel the merchant. Then he shook himself and with forced heartiness turned into the shop again. No wonder you won't go with me to Jerusalem, he barked. Tell me, has that maiden promised? Joseph sank dismally on the bench. I have never even spoken to her, he admitted. With a boisterous laugh, Samuel walked over and laid a hairy hand on the bald head. Shy as ever, Joseph, he teased. You have to pluck up your courage, man. You're not too young, you know. And the bucks of this village are not blind. Don't be losing time. Joseph looked up with an air that gave a sudden strength to his face. I am not afraid, he said quietly. Jump, Samuel snorted loudly. It came to him then with a sense of obscure annoyance that the gentle people of this world are a strong and obstinate mystery. There was conviction in the words of Joseph. Tell me one thing, at least. Do you know her parents? Not yet, replied Joseph. They have just come here from Jerusalem. Have you never learned her name? asked Samuel. Her name? Joseph looked up. Oh yes, I know that. Then tell me then, Joseph, my friend, before I go, tell me what is that girl's name? Her name, said Joseph, is Mary.